welcome everybody to all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you made it to church. It's an honor to have you with us. I also want to welcome those of you always who are watching online around the country and world, and that congregation is growing. So wherever you are watching online, welcome to you as well. We know this is your connection to our church and us to you. Uh, this is a time of year in Minnesota, you know, when you kind of just have to push through, get up, go to work or school, come home, eat the same old boring meals with the same old boring people. You know, nothing really to do much except go to the mall and watch HGTV. You know, this is the time of year when you really have to fight the urge to go out and do something stupid, like go out and take out a big loan and buy a new RV. Don't do that. That'd be not bright. You know, author Max Lucado says it this way. He says, much of life is spent rowing, day after day, just rowing, rowing, going to work, studying, paying bills, changing diapers, Lots of lots of rowing. That's February in Minnesota, but then spring comes and it's turkey season. Oh, can't wait. Or gardening or biking, walking, whatever you like to do. Golf. Oh, man. And there's new life. We're in a series called The New You from Romans 6-8, and today we come to a section in the Bible that I absolutely love because these are some of the most honest words ever written by anybody. Paul writes it this way in the Bible in Romans. He says, I don't understand myself at all, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very things I hate. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. He says, when I'm honest about myself, I seem to be out of control. When I want to do good, I don't do it. Instead, I end up doing the things I hate. I seem to be out of control. And I just wonder today, where in your life do you seem to be out of control? What is it that you just can't stop doing no matter how hard you try? And every time it happens, you think, what's wrong with me? Why do I keep doing that? One of the areas that I've struggled with most of my life is controlling my words, saying things that are off-putting and hurtful to people. When I was at Penn State University years ago, 1990, there was a group of grad students and professors who got together to play basketball during the lunch hour. It was called the lunch bucket, and during those three years, I got to know most of the guys who played. There weren't any referees calling fouls or keeping score. All the infractions were called by us players. Amazingly, it worked fairly well, but there were a couple of guys in the lunch bucket who made it really, really tough. One guy's name was Tim. I'll never forget him from the sociology department. He's a professor. Those sociologists, I'll tell you. Tim was arrogant, dirty mouth, foul mouth. One afternoon, we were going at it pretty hard, and this guy, Tim, fouled me, so I called a foul that he immediately questioned. When I justified the call by showing him the marks on my arms, he said, you're foolish. Now, as a pastor and a Christian, I never use swear words. So when he said I was full of it, I said, why don't you shut your face? To which he said, bleep you. To which I said, you stink. Because that's all I got as a pastor. <laughs> then he flipped me the bird. Pastors can't do that either. So I said, your mother stinks too. But it wasn't just at the lunch bucket that I lost control at times. I've said hurtful things to my wife. Regrettably, I've done that to my kids. Over the years, I've embarrassed myself in front of staff and board members. Countless times, I've had to cycle back and apologize to somebody. In fact, I had to do that just this week at work. 
There was a season about 15 years ago when I had mismanaged my life. I was probably clinically exhausted, and that made me even more verbally dangerous. That's not an excuse. But my caustic comments got so bad that the church board actually stepped in and said, Bob, if you, you either get control of this or you're done. And I couldn't believe it. After I picked my jaw up off the table, I realized a few months later that they probably saved my career and in some respect, the future of our church. They wrote a seven-page, single-space evaluation that I still have and still read on occasion under the topic of your growth opportunities, which is a nice way of saying this is where you stink. <laughs> they had five topics all related to verbal misconduct. They said things like this. The number one focus in your leadership, Bob, must be a growing consciousness to the weight of your words. Your words can cause more harm than you can possibly imagine. They wrote seven pages like that. It was really hard to read. But gang, it was through their wisdom and a year of counseling that I was able to gain better control of my mouth. And God has really been changing me in this area. But that's an area where I've often thought, what's wrong with me? Why can't I stop doing that? So again, what might that be for you? What's the one thing in your life that you just can't stop and seems to be out of your control? You know what the truth is about all of us, whether we're a Christian or not? The truth is, gang, we all sin. Every single one of us. Believers, unbelievers, every single, we say and do things that are sinful at times, and I think it's refreshing to hear a Bible writer like Paul admit the same thing. You know, he says, when we decide to follow Jesus Christ, this old life is gone, a new life is becoming to come, but it doesn't mean we never sin anymore. In fact, he says it this way in verse 20, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin, it's sin living in me. He's a Christian. He wrote much of the New Testament, saved and forgiven, but he still fails, and the reason he still fails is because his sinful human nature did not go away the moment he trusted Jesus Christ. So he says it this way. He says, I find this law at work. like the law of gravity doesn't change. This law at work inside me. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me, waging war inside me. Over in Galatians, he says it this way. These two forces, good and evil, are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. So gang, if you're a Christian here today, there's a battle going on inside you between good and evil and you are never totally free from that battle that's going on. It's actually, by the way, it's actually a sign that you are a believer. That's the good news. If there's a battle going on inside you between good and evil, that's a signal that God is at work in your life. If there's no battle, that's a danger sign for you. That's a signal that God may be missing from your life because as believers, there's this spiritual warfare going on inside. So today, what I want to do is show you four ways to win this battle, four ways to defeat whatever it is that controls your life and mine. At the end of chapter 7, Paul says there's this war going on inside, and then I love this verse, just an exasperation. He says, what a miserable person I am. Who will save me from this life that's dominated by sin? And that's the question I want to ask. 
How can we defeat this sin that dominates sometimes in our life? If you're taking notes, the first way is this. I have to acknowledge the truth about this. I have to acknowledge, I have to say to myself and God, I struggle with sin and I've got to get specific about it. I have to say it's not just sin in general, but the one sin that I can't seem to control is this, and you got to name it. Got to identify it. You got to say, God, I struggle with this particular sin. Please help me defeat it. Because if you don't acknowledge it and name it, you'll never address it. So I want to raise this question one more time What is your signature sin? Where do you continually fail? For me, it's verbal misconduct, and I had to acknowledge to myself, God, and others, this is a problem that I hate. I can't seem to control it. A close cousin, by the way, to verbal misconduct is anger. And I had to acknowledge that sin as well. So what is it for you? What's your signature sin? You know, maybe for some of you, you lose control at your kids' sporting events, and it's just embarrassing. Or you lose control at parties and embarrass yourself. Or, or you're married, but you fantasize about being with somebody else. Or it's an addiction to gambling or internet porn, and you tell yourself, never again, but it keeps happening. Or maybe it's over-drinking, over-eating, over-spending, or just lying, just being deceitful. Maybe it's hatred of somebody who hurt you, and you've tried, but you can't seem to let it go. Have you? Will you be honest about it and ask God to help you defeat this problem? I just finished reading the Magnolia story by Chip and Joanna Gaines, hosts of HGTV hit store, uh, TV program Fixer Upper, and their Magnolia brand has just mushroomed across our nation. But just four years ago, just four years ago, they were a normal couple from Waco, Texas, just trying to make ends meet living in a little dinky, rented house, no money, lots of debt, until a TV crew got wind of their work and they showed up for five days and followed them around. What some people don't know is that Chip and Joe are Christians. And they're under enormous pressure every single day and it's become hard on their family. A couple of years ago, Joe began seeing that their manic pace was affecting their kids. And I want you to hear what she writes. She says, you know, I work hard to keep our house looking nice, but it seems almost every day I yell at the kids for making messes or spilling milk. It's exhausting to me. I was finally taking a moment for myself one afternoon. I plopped down on her sofa. When I looked down at my beautiful snowy white slip cover, and it was covered with little black fingerprints, everything in me wanted to go and yell at those kids for not washing their hands like I told them a thousand times before. But then I heard them down the hallway, and all four of them erupted in laughter over some little silly thing. Their giggles were so full of joy, it pierced my heart. I looked back down on the sofa and thought, someday I might actually miss those little fingerprints. She says, right then and there, I knew I had to make a choice. So what if my house wasn't perfect? My crazy obsession, she says, for perfection was causing me to be an angry parent. Can you relate to this, parents? Not anymore, she says. That day changed me. It really did. I thought, what am I going for in life? 
Do I want this perfectly manicured house or do I want a happy family? I felt as if 100 pounds got lifted off my shoulder that afternoon. I sat on that sofa and I thought, holy cow, I can breathe again. How about it, gang? Joanna's signature sin was perfectionism that caused her to lash out at her kids in anger, but the day she acknowledged her sin was the day she began to breathe again. I'm telling you, to overcome sin, you've got to acknowledge the truth, but here's what a lot of people do. They either deny that there's a problem or they delay. Some people just deny it. Everybody else can see their problem. Everybody else knows they have a problem with anger or addiction or foul mouth language, but if you're in denial, here's what you say a lot. It's no big deal. It's not that bad. I'm telling you, folks, you can no big deal yourself right out of a job. You can no big deal yourself right out of a marriage. For years, people told me my words were hurtful, but I didn't buy it. I was in denial. It almost cost me. Some people delay. They say, you know, you're right. I probably need to do something about my credit card debt. Probably need to do something about my stress load or partying, but now's not a good time. Here's what I've learned about people who say not now. It usually turns into not ever. That's what happens. It's people who delay really aren't serious about changing anything. So gang, the first step to defeating your signature sin is you have got to acknowledge that this sin is a problem in your life. Second way is this. you got to refuse to blame. Refuse to blame other people for your problems. I noticed in, in chapter 7 in Romans, Paul's talking through, he's teaching through here, and he uses one single pronoun. It's the pronoun I. And he uses it 27 times in 10 little verses. For example, look what he says. I am unspiritual. I don't understand what I do. I know that nothing good lives within me. I desire to do good, but I can't carry it out. What a wretched man I am. He had all sorts of people and circumstances he could have blamed for his issues. Could have blamed his parents, his upbringing, his teachers, even God himself. But he knows that ultimately the sins he struggles with are his sins. And if he blames everybody else, he's never going to get over the issues in his life. I got an email recently from a young man who sent it from a military base in Florida. He was getting ready to deploy to Iraq, and he's been watching us online, and I want you to see what he says in his email. He says, Bob, I've never been religious ever. I never had a role model that I could look up to, certainly not my father, all my male influences growing up were immoral addicts or alcoholics. Consequently, my formative years were filled with horrible choices. I made horrible decisions my entire life. But what I've learned from you and your church is that my past bad choices or the bad choices of others who hurt me are not permanent. They do not define the man I am now or the man I want to be. Even though I didn't have the best role models growing up, I now know what not to do. He says, I've learned, and I love this, that my daughters can have a father that can break the chain of alcohol and drug abuse that plagues our family's last name. 
I've learned that even though others treated me badly, there's always going to be a Father in heaven who loves me and will lead me forward from now on. And finally, he says, I hope someday we can meet and tell you in person how God has changed me. Please pray for my wife and my daughters in my absence overseas. Gang, I love that. This young man has lots of people he could blame for why his life has been tough, but he knows, he knows something, that if he keeps blaming other people for his problems, he will not become the husband, dad, and man that he could become. And gang, I know this, I know. I get emails every single week. Some of you were treated really, really badly. I read it every week, the heartbreaking stories. And I know a lot of it wasn't your fault. Somebody maybe left you or stole from you or cheated on you or lied about you or betrayed you, and it wasn't your fault. But, and this is hard to hear, if you stay in the blaming mode, you will stay stuck in life. It was their fault. They should be punished. But don't let what they did to you define the rest of your life. Don't let that person steal one more day of your life because blaming them will keep you stuck. Blaming them will prevent you from taking charge of your life. To defeat sin, you have to stop blaming everything and everybody. The choices, here's the truth, the choices you make from now on are 100% your choices. This is your life. Don't let somebody else who did something wrong to you dictate how you start to choose how you're gonna live. From now on, refuse to blame Third thing is this, pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus. Paul says, what a miserable person I am. He says, who will save me from this life that's dominated by sin? Notice this key word. He says, who? It's not a what. He's read everything. He's attended the three-step you know, program. He's, he's done everything he could. But if he finally realizes, no, it's a Who? will save me from this life of sin. And he concludes this statement, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, my Lord. I love this. Sometimes we forget that really it's nothing we can do in our own power, but it's in, it's in the power of Christ. It's not our power, it's his power that he gives to us when we ask him. And Paul is just simply reminding himself that he needs to go back to Jesus in prayer every single day. Do you do that? Do you go to Jesus every day in prayer? In fact, all through Paul's letters, he uses this little preposition, in Christ. In Christ, I find life. In Christ, I have power. In Christ, I have hope. In Christ, I can get through this difficulty. It's in Christ And it means that our power to defeat sin is found in our relationship with Jesus, that when we pray and we ask him for the power to overcome sins, he gives it to us. Because ultimately it's a who. It's not a what. 
In his great book, The Power of the Other, highly recommend it to everybody here, Henry Cloud tells about a dad who asked Henry if he should interview every kid who wanted to date his teenage daughter. And Henry Cloud said to this dad, absolutely, I would interview every kid who wants to date my daughter, even if I'm out of town. The guy said, well, how can you do that if you're out of town? How can you interview people when you're out of town? Henry said, by having the kind of relationship with my daughter that my values and my voice will be inside her head. So even if I'm not there, she will automatically hear my voice. She'll automatically ask, is this a good kid? Can he be trusted or is he a selfish little dirt ball who I should avoid? She'll automatically know to ask that. Cloud said, I want my daughter to make decisions based on the values of a father who loves her and wants the best for her. So whether I'm home or not, she'll automatically know how to make the decision. And if I do happen to be in town, I will be on my front porch in my rocking chair with my overalls and shotgun to meet the kid. I will. <laughs> the point is, who's inside your head? Who's inside your heart? Paul had to remind himself he has a father who loves him. He's got a savior who redeems him and will give him power to defeat the sin in his life when he asks, how's your relationship with Jesus these days? Fourth way, final way to defeat sin, you gotta throw it off. Kind of a weird statement, you gotta throw it off. But this is so key. This is where so many of us either win or lose the battle over sin. You know, so many of us will make a genuine commitment to follow Jesus so they get the who right, but then they'll fail to overcome sin. People all over the world, I'm telling you, will go to a church like this, they'll hear a message like this, they'll nod their heads in agreement, they'll say, yep, I believe that. I believe Jesus will give me power to overcome sin. And then those same God-loving, good-hearted people will go home and they can't stop drinking or they can't stop cursing. They'll walk through the doors at home, they'll say, yeah, I believe I'm forgiven, I can't, but I can't stop looking at those images on the internet. Can't stop yelling at the kids. I believe God gives me power, but I just can't stop. Now, why is that? Because belief, so key, belief is just the beginning of overcoming sin. Belief has to be followed by action. I want you to see what Paul says in Ephesians chapter four. He says, since you heard about Jesus and learned about the truth, that comes from him. In other words, this is where belief begins. You're hearing about the truth. You're hearing about who Jesus is. And he says this, I love this. So now throw off your old evil nature and your former way of life. Now you gotta stop on this verse and say, how do you do that? How do you throw off anger? Just throw it off. How do you throw off lust? How do you do that? Well, I gave this a lot of thought, and I, I, I think it simply means, gang, that you have to do something. You have to attack this thing. You gotta do whatever it takes and fight it. In fact, in Ephesians 4, 28, he says, man, if you're a liar, stop it. If you're a thief, stop stealing. Get rid of 
bitterness, rage, anger, slander, and bad behavior. Do something about it. If you just hope it goes away, forget about it. I think what he's saying here is you got to get mad and fight this thing and do whatever it takes to get rid of it. Dr. Phil says, he calls this putting something on project status. Something's going wrong in your home with your kids, with your marriage. you got to put this on project status. Get serious. Take action. It might mean you have to change your schedule. Project status. It might mean you have to drop a subscription, remove the internet, doing whatever it takes, delete all contact information. Oftentimes it means cutting off a certain friendship that continually drags you down into the mud. Sometimes project status means I got to move out. I got to move out of this situation or asking for help. Gang, one thing's for sure, you will not defeat a signature sin by just hoping and praying it'll go away. So, have you asked Jesus for the power to overcome this thing, and then what action are you going to take? What action are you going to take to overcome this? This past Christmas, I love this. We wanted to promote our January series called Hooked. And a lot of you were a part of that series. And we wanted to give everybody an Eaglebrook bobber ornament for Christmas to remind them that the series Hooked is coming in January. So we ordered 45,000 bobbers from an overseas company. But they got stuck in U.S. Customs for a week. And the shipping agent said they might not make it for Christmas. So without knowing any of this, I knew nothing of this. Two of our marketing guys decided to take action. They said, we decided on two things. We got to go get them, and we're not telling Bob. <laughs> so, no kidding, they flew out to L.A. on a Friday morning, 6 o'clock Friday morning, rented a U-Haul truck, drove to the warehouse to find our 45,000 bobbers. <laughs> then they drove 2,000 miles through horrible traffic, deserts, treacherous mountain passes, blizzards in a U-Haul without cruise control. Unbelievable. It was a brutal 36-hour drive that left them loopy by Nebraska, by the time they hit Nebraska. They put a lot of it on Snapchat, so I want to show you just a brief clip, and then I'll come up and close. The eagle has landed. L.A., baby. Man, we're doing it. We're doing it. We're really doing it. Yeah! Beautiful. Beautiful! Alright, guys, we're uh, just getting in the same lights here in Las Vegas. This is life on the open road. Should be in Omaha. I mean, we knew it'd be hard, but we didn't think it was going to be this hard. 
That's how you all got a bobber for Christmas. Because <laughs> two guys took action. Obviously, this wasn't a sin problem. But they had to solve a problem and they get something done. So they put it on project status. They kissed their families goodbye, drove cross country to get it done. They acknowledged the problem. They refused to blame somebody else, and there was a lot of people to blame. They prayed like crazy, and they attacked the problem, and that's just for bobbers. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen if we all acknowledged our sin and just refused to blame? And there's a lot of people to blame. But if we refuse to blame, take ownership, Ask Jesus to help us and then do something. Take action. You know, I think what happened, sin would get defeated. And you could bury the old life. And you could start living a better life for your sake, your kids' sake, your friendships. I want that for every person here. I want it for me. And I know that I've got to keep being honest about my sin. Keep asking for help and keep doing whatever it takes. And that's my prayer for everybody, everybody here at church, everybody listening online. I love you people. I love that we get to do this together. Hey, next week uh, is going to be a phenomenal week. The verse is Romans 1.8. There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. It's going to be a fantastic week. So we'll invite you back at all campuses. Let's stand for closing prayer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you that it cuts like a sword sometimes. But you don't leave us bleeding. You heal us, God. When we acknowledge our sin, you are there to forgive and give us power to overcome. So right now, right here, Father, I just pray that all of us will be honest before you, be honest with ourselves. Will you shine a light on that sin you just can't seem to get over? 
God shine a light on that. Help us to be honest about it. Give us power, unusual power to overcome it, to go after it. God, I just pray that we'll refuse to blame, that we'll own our life so that you can be praised. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us the way you do. Came to worship you, Father, today in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.